Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Warren. I'll be your host for this episode with Mr. Shane Benzie. You go out and you change your movement, your body adapts to that movement. So you start to adapt in a Darwinian way. You become better at that task. So yeah, over that seven month period that your elastic system is rejuvenating itself, if you move beautifully, if you tap into that system, it's going to come back helping you to do that. Uh, those of you who are into your running, you may have come across Shane before. He has most recently exploded onto the scene with the best-selling book all about running form and beautiful human movement called The Lost Art of Running. But like any overnight success story, Shane's journey is far from overnight and begins over a decade ago. Um, his journey took him from looking at running and being a broken down runner himself and seeing that the classical uh, scientific understanding and description of the issues he and so many other runners faced in terms of battling injury and looking to run more freely, more easily and to maximize human performance were not fully explained by the standard biomechanical uh, definitions of the day. Shane, rather than diving deeper into the research, at that point went and took a totally human view. He took himself out to Africa. He started observing the best runners in the world. He started observing natural tribes, seeing how people moved naturally. And what he came up with was the theory of elasticity, the fascia within the body, uh, and really the principles of energy absorption and then energy return. Uh, that 10-year quest, which is culminating in, uh, in his most recent book, has given Shane an incredible amount of knowledge um, in human movement. And what this podcast really, really delivers above all is the tools that so many of us can use to be naturally better runners. Here's just one little thing for you. If you're thinking, no, I've tried everything, just can't be done, right, the body's fascia renews every seven months. Literally, you can have a completely brand new body for much of your running in seven months. Everything is rebuildable. Performance limits are really not where we assume they should be. And Shane's work and knowledge is a key part of advancing what any of us can do as runners. So that's what's coming up in this show. It's a huge Huge treat for anyone looking to run further, faster, to begin, to get better, to come back from injury, whatever it may be. So look, that's all part of our mission on this podcast. And it is sponsored, as ever, by 33 Fuel Natural Sports Nutrition. Because if you're looking to unlock the best of yourself, you need the best nutrition to do it. It needs to be delicious. It needs to be easy to use. It needs to hit all of the high notes to give you everything you need. And when you do that naturally, as 33 Fuel does, you don't get any downsides. It's a huge compound performance upgrade. When you switch from using ordinary sports nutrition products and their empty calories through to nutrient-dense, delicious, whole food-based natural products, well, you get a massive, massive lift. So look, do check out everything at 33fuel.com when you need the best in sports nutrition but not before you have checked out this wonderful interview with Mr. Shane Benzie. Shane Benzie, out in the countryside on this beautiful morning, 
Uh, that's why we got the birds cheeping in the background with you. Thanks very much. <laughs> we can. Thanks for joining me. Uh, listen, absolute pleasure. Good to be here. Now, I mean, you have been a very busy bloke recently. Um, even this morning, you've had uh, you've had clients and you know working on running form and everything else. But uh, I mean, before the overnight success. There's a decade and more of work that's gone into making this all happen, which I believe even started with you working with sharks. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before I was uh, studying humans and, and getting fascinated in their movement, uh, yeah, I used to work with sharks uh, and I was, a, um, I was a director of the Shark Conservation Society. So I spent a lot of time all around the world kind of observing sharks, uh, getting involved in programs, tagging them, trying to understand kind of where they go and what they do and getting kind of uh, better sort of government legislation, better protection for them. I mean, spent a lot of time in the water with them. Um, and uh, yeah, fascinating creatures. I mean, they've been around for 400 million years. Uh, so they've got pretty good at what they do, which is essentially swimming around, eating and having baby sharks. You know, they, their job really hasn't changed that much. And uh, so they, they move amazingly well. And I, yes, got absolutely fascinated with them. Um, and then when I started to work with runners, it kind of made sense to almost take an anthropological view of an athlete um, so look at uh, an athlete as part of the human species, just like I would have looked at a shark as, as part of a species. So, yeah, they, 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 they doesn't sound like it. They, there is there is a, a good dovetail there. Well, I, I think there's a, a phenomenal amount of natural movement in sharks. I, I can't profess any great experience other than a uh, tourist shark cage dive, which okay. only struck me with one lasting impression, which is that they are the most magical, majestic, and when you're in a cage at least, least frightening creatures. I, you know, I, you're expecting a monster, what you get is a miracle of nature. Yeah, they are, they are amazing. And you know, and the thing is, you know, it's hard to get your head around, but really humans aren't really on the, the menu for sharks. They're really not that interested in us. Uh, there's no real calorific value in a human to a shark to be honest with you um if a, if a shark kind of hits a human it is almost always mistaken identity really um and they have very you know they have very clever ways of kind of sensing stuff they have these things called ampullae of lorenzini these little gel pores on their on their head which look at electrical waves and they have a lateral line that looks at electrical waves and sometimes they i think they mistake us for uh for a seal or something like that um and so uh they get a bit of a reputation but yeah they are amazing amazing creatures uh, absolutely love them and from from the movement of sharks you you've got a personal interest in ultra running and I think anyone who's done any ultra running would also empathize with the fact that I think in your own words, you're an ultra runner, but you were in bits. Yeah, I was an ultra runner, not a very good one. I have to say, I, think, I don't think I was very good, but I loved the sport, still do, uh, and uh, was very enthusiastic with it. But I think I was kind of facing two issues, two challenges that a lot of people face that I certainly work with over the last decade. And that was that I was constantly getting injured. I always seemed to be coming back from some kind of niggle just to kind of wander into the next one. Um, uh, and I just wasn't getting any better. You know, I just wasn't getting any faster or just, yeah, I just didn't seem to be getting any better at it. Loved it, but was slowly beating myself up and breaking myself. Um, and so something had to give. I had to either give up the sports, which would have been a real shame, um, or 
just get better at it. So, but I was pretty fit uh, and I had a lot of kit, I have to say. I had all the kit, uh, loads of stuff um, and was, you know, pretty fit. But uh, so really movement, how I ran seemed to be the thing. And that's what kind of sent me off on this journey, really as a personal journey at first, just to see if I could kind of move any better to stop, stop hurting myself. And that, that was a journey that took you all over the world. And without paraphrasing too much, I think from our last conversation, you came to a point where you said, biomechanics don't explain everything that's going on here. Yeah. So when I when I first kind of went on, started my journey to find a better way to move, you know, everything seemed to be kind of treadmill based, um, which didn't really make sense to me because I, you know, certainly when I was running on a treadmill, I was almost running to stay on it. It, 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 I didn't move like I did when I was running on kind of terra firma. Um, and, uh, and then everything, yeah, kind of was explained to me when I was, my understanding was the, the biomechanical view of ourselves, just, I guess, almost the clues in the name, it made me feel mechanical. It made me feel as though I was moving and my skeleton was a kind of a series of levers and it would make me move in a mechanical way. But, but when I watched amazing runners, when I watched runners run beautifully, that isn't what I saw. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that at all. I saw something completely different. Um, so I went out to America to, to qualify as a coach because I thought, you know what, the best way to learn something is actually learn to be a coach at it. That, that, you know, even then, it was really just from myself. Uh, and I went out to America and did that. Uh, and that was really good. I had a lot of fun doing that and actually got kind of pretty enthused and inspired and came back and said, thought to myself, right, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be a coach. And so I started to coach. Um, and uh, which was good fun, I really enjoyed it, but there were, yeah, lots of big gaps in my thought processes. And when good runners started to come to me and say, you know, I want, how do I go faster? You know, I want, I want to be quicker, or I want to move better. How do I do that? I thought, well, I'm kind of curious myself. I don't know, because most running form was about not getting injured and, you know, almost avoiding impact and just running almost within ourselves. We weren't being coached to coach people to move beautifully and open up. So I did that for about a year and then thought, right, there are big gaps in my information here. I need to learn more, but the course isn't gonna do it or a franchise isn't gonna do it. So I thought, right, I'm just gonna down tools and I'm just gonna go and hang out with the best runners in the world and see what <laughs> we find out for myself. And, and to me, Ethiopia and Kenya, the East Africans, you know, they were, you know, uh, still are um, you know, amazing runners. Uh, and so I just kind of down tools. And my first trip was out to Ethiopia, up to the Rift Valley, little town called Bekoji, where there's an amazing coach. And this guy is incredible. Uh, and I'd heard about him on CNN. And I thought, right, I'm just going to go and find him. Uh, so it wasn't organized. I just kind of like rocked up and uh, hung around until uh, they got bored of me hanging around. So they kind of let me in and, uh, and I ended up spending about a month there. Um, yeah, and started to see this different movement. That's brilliant because I think the things that can be studied in laboratories or you know, sometimes the way something is studied is not actually completely relevant and it takes someone from outside to see that. Um, in, a, in our own simple journeys in, in nutrition, we see that everything was so carb focused, but what do you do about fat supplies? What do you do about burning fat? You know, that took me an amazing amount of time to actually find someone who would even begin to explain that idea to me 10 years ago. And it sounds like you had a similar thing with running the, the treadmill focus, the biomechanical focus. 
Um, not that it's incorrect, but it's just not necessarily the whole picture. And you've come in and gone, well, I can see there's clearly something missing here. I just need to go and find that. Yeah, definitely. You know, there is a balance between, you know, sciences and science research is a fascinating subject. And there's definitely a balance, you know, sometimes, you know, we do need lots of data to be crunched and control groups. And, you know, if we if we really want to look into something, but sometimes we just have to leave the lab and go out into the natural world and just have a look um, and be brave enough to say, that's what I saw. And, and this is what I think. But what, I, what I'm very careful to do is once I've gone out and seen something incredible, I'm very, very careful to come back and speak to people far cleverer than me um, who will explain to me what it is I saw. So I use scientific experts and, and leaders in their field all around the world to explain to me what it is I saw. So yeah, I do go and look and I video and I now put sensors on and you know, get data from this movement in the natural environment. But I do still work very closely with the traditional science world to show me what it was I saw. So there's actually a really good kind of partnership there, I think. Mm. And, and the thing, the thing you, you saw, could that be summed up as elasticity? Would that be the word? Yeah. I, so, the, 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 yeah, the very, the very first day that I got there, um, I went to Tupikoji in, in, in East Africa. I, I got there very late at night. It took, took about 36 hours to actually get there. I uh, got there very late at night, woke up the next morning and uh, went down to the, the running track. About five o'clock in the morning, this was. Um, and it's altitude, so it's really cold. Uh, and there was a, it's just a kind of like a dirt track, really. Um, and I got down there and there was one person on the track running around, a lady. And she was running around the track. I can make, you can see her breath, you know, because it was really cold. And she was running around this track. And I just sat there and I watched her and I thought, what is that? What, what is that? Because that, this is what I've come to see. But what is it? I just don't understand what it is. It's beautiful. It's elegance. And, and you know, and sure enough, once the men started to turn up, they were moving in this beautiful, elegant way as well. Um, and yeah, I speak, I, certainly when I wrote the book, I described it as a kind of a synergistic, connected, fluid movement that is elastic. Elastic was the big word that came out of what I could see. Um, and I stayed there a month and was lucky enough to be able to run with them uh, on their warm up runs um, and really spend time with them and, uh, and really drill down. But I came away from that month not knowing why they moved that way, but just having this vision in my mind of this beautiful elastic movement. And then I put my researcher's hat on and then I have to try and find out why are they elastic and why are we not? Because surely a bit of genetics aside and altitude and stuff like that, growing up in bare feet, that kind of thing, that's slightly different. But actually, we've got all the same bits. So why are they beautifully elastic and why, why am I not? <laughs> and that was when I went on my kind of put, first put my researcher's hat on and then found fascia and tensegrity very quickly, found these things that kind of immediately made me think, yes, I get it. Uh, and I'm still chasing it 10 years later. I mean, I never give up. I'm always, I'm always trying to track it down and understand it better. And, and, and tell me a bit more about the, you know, about fascia, about tensegrity, um, and, and about the, the sort of key elements that you're finding in this beautiful movement that you're seeing in Africa. And, and how do we begin to pick it up for the rest of us? Because you're right, it can feel like, well, particularly in the Western world, if you're working uh, in any sort of regular kind of job, there's a life can be quite sedentary. Exercise can be parceled into small pockets. Um, diet may not be great. Air quality may not be great, but you make a wonderful point. 
if you boil us down as humans, we're 99.9% .9 the same. Therefore, actually, don't focus on the differences, focus on the similarities. But could you tell me a bit more about, you know, I say what, what you found in there uh, and uh, those elements of fascia tensegrity and, and how uh, runners can start to use those things for themselves? Yeah, well, I think what, what, I, to, what I've definitely learned over the last decade, and, and this isn't just in East Africa. I mean, I, I work on six continents, and what I also do is spend a lot of time with tribes and indigenous people who have really not had their mind, their software contaminated with any thought processes on movement at all. They just move the way that they move. So they've been fascinating to, to study as well. Uh, but what I have, th th there are lots of influences on our movement, but I think the two really big ones that are a challenge for us in the Western world, if you like, are one is we move very much based on our perception of our movement. And what, by that, what I mean is when you're running, what you assume is happening, what you think is happening as you run, has a big influence on how you actually move. Now you might say, well, actually, I don't have a perception. I just go out and I run. We all do have a perception, even if it's a subliminal one. We have this thought process of what our body does and how it moves. And yeah, we tend to think of ourselves as um, more mechanical in our movement. And I think it's our relationship with our skeleton that does this because so when I'm coaching athletes, I'm also asking them lots of questions all the time to understand their perception. So this is 10 years of building up and, and noting what athletes perception of their movement is and we tend to see our skeleton as kind of the main structure of the body yeah because so, every time you see a skeleton it's kind of stood upright supporting itself it's always got a big grin on its face yeah and it just looks like it could just walk off whether it's on an app whether it's in a book whether it's in a science history museum in a glass case you just see the skeleton stood there and so I think we could definitely be forgiven for thinking that the skeleton is the main structure of the body and it does move as a series of levers. But actually the way I see the skeleton and the way I see movement is actually our skeleton is 206 bones, there or thereabouts, sometimes it's slightly different, 206 bones. No bone touches another bone in your body. Those bones are actually floating in a sea of elasticity, our fascial system. So if you were to look at a skeleton actually that didn't have the fascial system supporting it in a sea of tension it would just be a pile of it would be 206 individual bones on the floor so that's one of the big differences and so i always use my tensegrity model so it's a child's toy but actually it is a tensegrity model and this is a really good way of explaining our relationship i believe between our skeleton and our elastic system so the wooden dowels are our bones and as you can see, no bone touches another bone in there. The elastic stuff that holds this shape together is our fascial system, ligaments, tendons, and then everything that's coated with myofascia. So actually, when we move that skeleton, it just free flows in this sea of elasticity, get beautifully tall, and you create a lot of elastic recoil in that movement. That's why it's really important, everything we do, that we must do it nice and tall to, to load that elastic system. So when you move, you're just this beautiful fluid thing. Every single bone sits in its own little elastic trampoline. Now, if you buy into that, straight away, any movements you make start to change because you now want to accentuate what it is you know. So we don't want to move as a series of levers anymore. We want to get beautifully tall and then create balance and symmetry in our movement so that every movement we make creates elastic recoil for the next movement. 
And what's really exciting about this stuff that kind of holds us together, binds us together, creates the recoil, creates the elastic energy, it's never more than seven months old. So it's constantly re-architecting and rejuvenating based on how we broke it down. Whereas if we just think of the skeleton, I don't really think we feel as though it's going to evolve and, and work for us and change depending on how we move. Whereas this beautiful elastic stuff, which is essentially collagen and water, is always reacting to how you break it down. So that, that's a beautiful point, the seven-month point. Um, mm. <clears throat> because it's easy for people to, you know, how old are you? You know, well, you know, I'm 47 or I'm 21 or whatever it might be. Um, your fascia is seven months old. Um, that opens the possibility, right, that you could have completely renewed it and potentially completely renewed your running ability and form in seven months with yeah. a new setup. Yeah, I mean, if fascia was on the outside of your body and, I didn't, and you changed your movement and I didn't see you for seven months, it's perfectly feasible I could walk past you in the street and not even recognize you because you would have completely changed. Because it's inside and because we don't really know about it or you know, don't really think it's a thing, we just don't think about it. But yeah, absolutely, you know, today, if I start moving, you know, if I picked up a javelin today and started to throw that javelin around and start to test my body, break down fascia and of course, break down muscle fibers as well. Tonight, when I go to sleep, they're going to start to be repaired and they're going to be repaired based on how they broke them down. So tomorrow I wake up slightly able to throw that javelin better. Actually, I'll probably break up really stiff and not be able to do anything for about four days. But actually, the body is starting to react to that. Um, and so you get better and better at the task. So it's what I would call, uh, it's what I call Darwinian fitness. You go out and you change your movement, your body adapts to that movement. So you start to adapt in a Darwinian way, you become better at that task. So yeah, over that seven month period that your elastic system is rejuvenating itself, if you move beautifully, if you tap into that system, it's gonna come back helping you to do that better. And that game never ends. You know, and you just get, you know, I work with, with, with athletes that are in their 40s, 50s, wiping out stuff they did in their 30s. You know, I work with Damien Hall and Damien's a, a, a great example of this. I think Damien's in his mid 40s, I think, uh, and just every year gets stronger, faster, fitter. Of course, he works very, very hard on his engine and everything, but he comes back every year bouncier than the year before. Uh, and it just does. And it's, it's amazing. And so we all we can all do this and we don't have to be trying to break world records or run for our country. This could be a way in which you get ready for your first attempt at a park run. You know, we've all got that's the thing with fascia. We have all got it um, and it can help us achieve whatever it is, you know, we want to achieve. So, yeah. So to go back to your original question, our perception of our movement, that if we can change the perception and go for a more tensegrity effect, I think it'll get us moving taller. The other big uh, influence is how we spend our everyday life. Yeah, that, and I, I guess that's not breaking news, but actually I think when I, when I wrote the book, uh, The Last Art of Running, one of the big, oh, and continues to be, the big feedback is, wow, you know, I just never really thought about too hard about, you know, because I talk about how you stand and make a cup of tea is how you create your sea of tension that you then take out running. You never run the way that you spend your day. You, you run the way that you spend your day. You never spend your day the way that you've run. Yeah, it only goes one way, really. So we do, as you say, we do sit a lot. Yeah, um, so 
that compromises our sea of tension. It compresses our sea of tension that we want to then take out into beautiful movement. And of course, in East Africa, what I was seeing with the runners was that they weren't really sitting that much. Uh, and certainly when you look at tribes and indigenous people, they're not either. So, you know, we have a big challenges. A, our perception of our movement is slightly curved, I think. And we compress ourselves into these strange positions for nine, 10, more now, now that, you know, with the lockdown over the last year, a lot of people have now been pushed into a situation maybe where they're working at the kitchen table in a really strange position or on the sofa or I don't know, wherever it is they are. So it's a it's a big challenge for us. One of the big things I advocate is a standing desk. Yeah. If you if you were stood on tripod feet, length and spine, neutral pelvis with the core engaged, eye line on the computer, breathing into the bottom third of your lungs. Well, you're training for nine hours because your dynamic movement when you go out for a run is only ever going to be an extension of that so for a lot of people now might be a chance to actually take ownership of that and do something about that because when you're in an office maybe you can't have a standing desk some people now maybe are more in control of that situation so. i think that that's a really strong point because it, it's certainly something that both erica and i here have noticed over lockdown i mean we often normally would be uh you know, every three months we tend to shift around countries you know we, we never stop working but we always keep moving and that would preclude having a standing desk or you know you set up wherever you are and, and you do what you can uh, and we normally find a reasonable solution lockdown forced to focus on that just could not do another day sitting had to get air. and standing desks are, are a lot more economical than they used to be particularly oh, yes. a desktop option I mean, yeah. frankly, you could probably bodge something together yourself quite simply. You just need to get your laptop up high enough to bring it up to the eye line and, like you said, be able to stand. And really, you're on your feet all day. You don't notice it. Really don't. Um, and you said uh, standing is exercise. We grow when we are weight-bearing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because bones are always remodeling, fascia's rejuvenating, muscles are re-architecting. You know, we need to be weight bearing for that to happen. You know, we, we really, really do. It's the single biggest thing that any runner or walker can do to strengthen their body is to just is to load bear more during the day. It's I don't think it's enough to just, you know, not be weight bearing throughout the day and then go and do a, an hour in the gym or whatever. Of course, that helps. There's no such thing as bad exercise. But I think if, where we can, if we can bring it into more of our everyday life that's that's got to help now I, there will be people listening who think well i just can't do that and and that may be the case but you know i think we can all uh, affect it in some way um and or at least start thinking about that i think it's absolutely huge it really, really is and, and what about the idea of um breaking up the day with movement i mean you know in a, in a perfect world you'd be working outdoors constantly moving exactly like you are right now yeah sure. um yeah and that that is not going to fit for many people working whatever their lives are are there ways that you recommend you know any simple ways that people can bring more movement into their day to break up those periods even if it is a standing desk of simply standing there yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of CPD courses um, and, with, and lots with osteopaths, um, sort of working with them to, to learn how to kind of video their, their patients and stuff for, to look at their movement. And they would tell me, they would tell me, there's no such thing as bad posture as long as you're not in it for more than 20 minutes. 
Okay. So, so I guess that, you know, you could argue, well, if you go from bad posture to bad posture, that's not necessarily good, but what they say, but I think the, the big message is, you know, it's just keeping moving. So, you know, 20 minutes can fly by when you're sat at a desk. I know that. I mean, I sit down, you know, I have to sit down sometimes. Uh, I try not to, but sometimes I have to. And if I have to write, you know, if I do, I write and stuff. And uh, um, if 20 minutes flies by in the, in the blink of an eye. Um, but I think the big message is, is that even if you're in a, in a pretty cramped position, and that's just the way it is, you can't do anything other than that. Just try and move constantly try and shift and move your position and just even if you do just stand up you know and just move the arms and legs around a little bit and then sit back down again and I don't know maybe set the bleeper on your watch or something so every half an hour it bleeps so that you do just make that effort to move around um, I think yeah I think that's good and now a quick word from our sponsors the most excellent most wonderful most natural 33 fuel natural sports nutrition just remember, when you're looking for the best possible nutrition products for your performance, your health, and your well-being, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com. The stuff doesn't cost any more than ordinary sports nutrition. The difference is it's made with transformatively better ingredients. You've got tastier results. You've got better results. You've got healthier results. So look, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com, and now let's get back to the show. And in, in, in that scope, and this, this would probably be, I, I don't know if it will carry back into office life, if that's something that comes back, but it, it may be more applicable in a lockdown situation. Running on the spot, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily easy or simple to go out for a walk all the time. Uh, you may not have the time. Is there any value in just sort of a bit of that to get the blood course, flowing? Does yeah. that have something or, or are we back to artificial movement there? No, no, listen, any movement is good. What, as runners, what we're trying to do is maximize our movement, of course. Yeah, we want to be as efficient as we possibly can and we want to be as, as dynamic and we want to perform the best we can. So we want beautiful, specific movement that joins in with all the attributes a human's got. But, but at the moment, we're talking about actually health within the home or, or the working place. So yeah, skipping, if you've, if you've got the room to skip or yeah, just running up and down on the spot. I mean, that's gonna, you know, it's gonna get the, the, the heart pumping, it's gonna get the blood flowing um, and it's gonna, it's gonna get you feeling better. So yeah, and there's no such thing as bad exercise at all. Um, so yeah, if you can get up and just jump around a bit and move, you know, a lot of people now are doing stuff first thing in the morning, aren't they? With online and, and doing classes online, a lot more people are kind of up for that and doing that. I know the schools are doing it at the moment. So, you know, for, for the people that are homeschooling, they're, they're, uh, they're kind of getting in front of the TV in the morning, but in a good way because they're running around and jumping about and doing all, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's good. Any, any movement is good. Um, we only need to really get precious about it and maximize it when we're, when we're trying to do a movement skill like running. And um, if I remember rightly, your uh, whole coaching platform online is really developing and you're building the tools there if people want to start to focus this down into their running, but in a way where um, clearly it would be ideal everyone can come and do one-on-one -on -one sessions with you, but that will get very impossible quite quickly and uh, quite tiring for you ultimately. So being able to share it across an online platform seems like a, uh, a good step. Yeah, listen, I love, I love coaching one-to-one -one and I co coach groups when, you know, when we can. Um, so I'm never gonna stop working with runners who, who wanna come and see me. But there is no doubt 
there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people out in the world running that are never going to get here. Um, and the, the, the coaching platform that I've set up, it literally is, you know, in my mind, for, for all the runners in the world, we already have people that we've got people joined from, from six continents already um, that, are, that are joining in with the, with the platform. And what it's essentially my, my vision for it is to get people to kind of buddy up and work together and kind of coach each other, help each other. So if you and I decided that we wanted to, I don't know, run a sub three hour marathon, we thought, right, we're gonna do this. It would probably start with a glass of wine or something. And then we would courageously decide we're gonna do it. And then we wanna go out and, and get, achieve that. What, I'm, what I wanna create is something where people can buddy up and work together and help each other. Because one of the things I have seen traveling all around the world that makes people powerful is the power of the group. It's huge absolutely huge together we are considerably stronger than if we just try and do something on our own now i use a lot of clever technology with my work um but actually one of the, the most fundamental thing i use is video analysis because if someone sees themselves move it's enlightening without a doubt but you know every pretty much everybody now has a device in their pocket where they can video themselves or body up and video someone else so what my idea for the coaching platform is to get people outside, buddy up, video each other running from the side, from the back, from the front, different speeds, takes five minutes. In five minutes, you've got a really good record of how you move, which I can guarantee you will be different to how you think it is in your mind. <laughs> and then you can use the coaching platform with lots of downloadable videos on how to and the thought processes behind it to see how you're moving compared to maybe how you should be and also to see what you do well and then use that to then go back out and practice. So everything's outside. You can take your phone with you, video yourself. You can have all the downloadable videos on the phone. There's MP4 files so that you can listen to stuff as you're running as well. So it's really just trying to get everybody to go outside, move outside, video yourself outside, and then use this uh, platform, which has got constant information dropping into it to, to coach each other, help each other. It's a really powerful way of doing it. I mean, I, I think the, particularly the video it's like hearing your voice recorded for the first time which everyone is now used to but you never sound or look like you think you sound or look and I remember through my own journeys through running form injury and, and it was the first person who, who literally looked at me and said look I, I can fix your injury um, but unless we change the way you run it's going to come back and, and that was a revelation at the time and they made a video of me running. And at that point I was like, why, has, why have I only ever been analyzed like lying on a couch in a, in a physio? Like it, I'm running and yet you're checking me out lying down. You don't question it at the time, but it's just not the same. You put it into video, you've got something very different. You're now able to combine those tools. It's at Running Reborn, right? That's, that's the website. Yeah, yeah, running reborn. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a subscription site. But it's you know it's thirty pounds for the whole year, um, and uh, and as you say, there's constant stuff dropping in there on the research or the coaching as it develops. There's webinars, podcasts, all of that sort of stuff coming in. So um, so yeah, it's uh, you know it's almost holding the person's hand or guiding the person to coaching themselves or each other because you know really what I have learned about changing your movement it's all about taking ownership of it yourself now a coach that's really what a coach is doing is i think helping you to take ownership of that movement so that's the idea is you immediately start to take ownership of it by logging it and understanding what it is and then putting that against what you know what would be good to do 
and then because you know when people when people are moving they you know if you broke movement down into 10 aspects maybe seven of them they're doing really well it might just be the foot contact and it might just be their head position they'll very quickly be able to work out and prioritize which ones it is they need to work on by putting their video watching their video and then looking at how how it's done you know with it with everything good um it's it's been amazing. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's it's new, so it, you know we only really started properly in in January. So, um, but already got lots of people joining, um, and the idea was, as well is um, it just kind of creates that community. So you know, there's there's social media sites within within the, the the coaching platform so that people can share information and ask questions, and the webinars will help them to do that as well. Um, yeah, it's good. I, I have high hopes for it. I think it's going to be fun. I know it, it sounds like a brilliant initiative and a great way of, of, you know, sharing and growing what you've learned, what you've created and what you continue to create. Uh, mm. We'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. OK, and, brilliant. Thank you. And you mentioned some key points there around um, the, the basics of good movement. And, and I'd, I'd love to drill into several of them. I, I think maybe we'll work from the top down. So uh, the thing that I think we could do uh, head uh body position arms and then contact with the floor um would that work if we just went through them quickly in terms of yeah we, we can do that Actually, i like to go from the ground up because it just makes you feel taller if you're thinking down then it kind of makes you drop a bit so i like to think of moving up the body as uh, as, as a way of doing it and, and done and that's what the coaching gets you doing is thinking of your movement just as a sequence of beautiful movements that propels your body so you develop this skill of actually as you're running asking yourself these questions moving up the body so perfect um, well let, let's start from the bottom um okay. I, I love that idea uh we'll totally take your lead on this uh, I, I think one of the things i've picked up from you is don't be scared of the floor and don't be scared of the air yeah you know and, and i think when i look back when i was running doing the ultras um you know, I was when I look back, I was trying to suck myself down to the ground as much as I could because that was how I saw it. That was what I thought was efficient. Um, ultra running and, shuffle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and not just ultra runners. You know, a lot of us are doing it. Um, and then the other thing I, you know, because I was scared of impact because I was blaming impact for all of my injuries because it couldn't possibly be my fault. Um, I was then kind of um, scared to get any air and scared to hit the ground. So I was. If I could have levitated, I would, you know, I was trying to move over the ground and not have any, any contact with it, really, basically, um, which ironically meant that I didn't dissipate the impact well and hurt myself. So so I think we see running as the ability, good, we see good running at the moment as the ability to move over the ground and save energy or not use energy. Yeah, that's what we see efficient movement as. I see efficient movement, I see dynamic movement as being able to move over the ground and create energy. Our relationship with the ground creates the elastic energy that throws us forward. And if we don't have the right relationship with the ground, we're never going to do it. That's so, totally transformative. Yeah, it's, it, changes, it, puts, it changes everything. It turns everything on its head. We have a really uh, an adversarial relationship with the ground rather than a beautiful one. We've got to learn to love it. And, you know, that's why I think one of the big reasons when people grow up in, in bare feet, they have a great relationship with the ground because they're not scared of it. They don't think it's dirty. You know, they're not scared of the impact that it creates because they've always had bare feet. So they just have an amazing relationship with it. And there's no doubt that, tran you know, that transfers into their into their running 
So how we move over the ground, your relationship with the ground is absolutely fundamental. So we've got to learn to love it because it's an energy giving thing. So Newton's third law would tell us any action is met by an equal and an opposite. What you put into the ground, you get out. Yeah, if I had a rubber ball and I drop it on the ground, it would bounce up, maybe bounce back up into my hand. If I throw it on the ground, I'm waiting for it to come back down. You get out of something what you put into it. Now, we shouldn't run around slamming into the ground, trying to create this extra elastic energy. But what we should do is not be scared of the ground and allow that natural contact to make place, take place, but just in the right way. And so the foot is obviously pretty fundamental to that. Here is a foot. Hey. Um, now, the foot is pretty fundamental to this. So I, if I'm what I would ask you to do. Just, just for anyone who's, who's on the podcast here, Shane has actually produced an entire human foot skeleton uh, <laughs> out of his pocket by the looks of it. <laughs> I was just coaching, so. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's one I made earlier. Yeah, exactly, example. I have one of everything on me. <laughs> so essentially, we want to think of the foot as the interface between you and the ground, okay? And like any good interface, everything behind it is only as good as that interface. So I, I advocate what's called a tripod landing, okay? Um, so I think it's kind of out there now that heel strike isn't good. Um, yeah, generally people would accept that heel strike isn't good. Um, but nor is landing very much on the forefoot. So a lot of people are now transitioning over to just landing on the forefoot without the heel coming down. I would say that's even worse than a heel strike. You know, to, to understand the best way to use the foot to run is what we need to do is look at the human foot and the attributes of it, just like I would have done when I was working with the sharks. And that's, so that's the anthropological view I take. So this tripod landing that I talk about, which is essentially a point on the heel, a point just under the, uh, the ball of the foot on the, on the big toe, and then just under the little toe. Yep. So you have that kind of tripod effect. So it's the foot coming down with a full foot landing. Flat if you like, I'm not keen on the word flat, um, but flat if you like. If we get that tripod landing, we create instant stability. Yeah, because we use tripods for stability. You're, you, I'm talking to you on something that's stood on a tripod so that it doesn't fall over. You know, so we use tripods. We're used to using tripods for stability. Of course, we want a nice stable landing. If we get that, then the rest of the body doesn't have to work hard to create that stability. And if it's a stable landing, it means that we limit that ground contact time, which is super important for all runners. Doesn't matter how technical you get with running, what we're essentially trying to do at any given speed is minimize the amount of time the foot's on the ground and maximize the amount of time you're in the air going forward. That's and you, you, So in terms of that tripod landing, that's all three points contacting at give or take the same time. Correct, absolutely, yeah. And correct. minimize the time they're there. Uh, would this be a good time to bring in cadence? Is that a, a relevant part of the puzzle? Uh, no, not at this. Not at <laughs> not at this point. We'll cover cadence because it is probably the most contentious one out there. Um, <laughs> so we'll come. We'll we'll come to cadence in a second. So that tripod landing, instant stability. There are a quarter of a million nerve endings on the bottom of your foot. If you get that tripod landing, you maximize every single one of those quarter of a million nerve endings, which are sending beautiful information up into the body, telling you how hard you hit the ground, what the ground felt like. It gives you your perceived rate of exertion and your spatial awareness. So as you move over the ground, you're kind of slurping up really exciting information from it to tell you how to make the next footfall. Well, those 
a tripod landing will maximize that information. The arch of the foot is essentially the core stability for the foot. So if you land well and the arch gets to do its work, that gives the foot a lot of strength. And also the arch of the foot gives the foot the shape of a dome. Your foot is dome shaped. If you land with that tripod, the dome effect of the foot dissipates that impact out. It spreads that impact out at source. So we know that that's why we don't have to be scared of it because we can dissipate it, turn it into elastic energy and it will throw you forward. And one of the big ways we do that is the plantar fascia on the bottom of the foot, which is a beautiful piece of elastic that runs all the way along the bottom of the foot. If we land on the tripod and load it correctly, it springs for us. So that so tripod landing. use that elastic energy. Uh, yeah, and you know, the beautiful thing, there are many things about, beautiful things about elastic energy, but one of the really exciting ones is it doesn't want any oxygen, it doesn't want any calories, it doesn't produce lactate. Boy, is it your friend as a runner. It really is, because if you just use a muscle-based propulsion, you're going to be in trouble because they do want lots of oxygen. They do want lots of calories. They do produce lactate. So, and you've got to use your muscles. Of course, there's a symbiotic relationship between muscle, bone and fascia. But the more we can bring fascia and elasticity into it, the less the muscles have to do. I'm, I'm hearing free speed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Without a doubt. And is, any, is anything truly free? Well, you know, if, you, if you're more dynamic, everything has to up its game a little. But pro rata, you know, the curve, you get a lot more back for your money. Well, it, it sounds like there's a, there's a huge untapped or potentially untapped ability in there to improve whatever you already have. If it's all muscle work, uh, you're going to hit a wall one way or another much sooner than you have to if you can combine your muscle work and your brain work and your training with maximum use of fascia it sounds like that really is where your optimal performance comes from uh yeah i absolutely believe that and especially when you're doing long well anything but certainly on the long stuff and certainly stuff where you have to get up and do it again in the next day you know you to use something that really doesn't want too much from you absolutely fundamental so cadence so you so you mentioned cadence and cadence is an interesting one and you know i think over the years it's cadence has what been the the running dynamic that we've been able to monitor for the longest um and it's the easiest one to monitor as well so most people would often be able to tell you their cadence um and but i think it's kind of i think it's been hijacked a little bit to correct form okay um, and I'm not sure that's why we should get excited about our cadence. So I've, I've worked with over 3000 runners one to one where I've logged cadence and videoed them and, and, and kind of have information on them. And the mean figures, the average figures for those for those 3000 runners is a cadence of 164. OK, and 85 percent of those people would land on a heel on a straight leg. So if there was such a thing as an average runner in the Western world, um, it would probably look like someone moving at a 164 cadence, um, landing on a heel on a straight leg. And just We're for clarity, that, that 164 is, uh, is that steps per minute? And that's yeah. counting both feet, right? Foot, yeah, footfalls per minute. Yeah, if you were a cyclist and you looked at your cadence, you would half that. So that would Got be 82. You. Yeah, that would be 82 yeah. if you were a cyclist. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's where the average runner, if there is such a thing as that, is 164 cadence, not much air, landing on a heel on a straight leg. And, um, and landing on a heel on a straight leg isn't good because then we're not using our uh, interface correctly. We want to we tripod landing. And to get a tripod landing, you need to get that foot 
a bit more underneath your center of mass to, and on a softer knee to get that tripod landing. So what we've started to do is to remedy that, is to up our cadence and get a faster footfall, a faster turnover, so that actually it shortens our stride so that we don't land out in front of us and over stride, we land, on a, we land more underneath us. But that's a little bit, I think that's a little bit like sticking a, a plaster over a fracture because the moment you try and run faster, you're gonna have to lengthen your stride, which means you're gonna stride out in front of you again. So upping cadence has become a quick fix for taking people off their heel and stopping them over striding. So, and I think that's a shame because that, that, that it doesn't work long-term. We've got to learn a better way to get that tripod landing. But why I get excited about cadence and what I've seen from all of these runners and from, from testing people, non-runners and runners all around the world is that I think we have this, the, the elastic system in our body has a frequency. Every, everything has a frequency. So when you're running and you hit the ground, you've got two and a, about two and a half times your body weight coming back at you. Okay. We don't have to be scared of that because it turns into beautiful elastic energy. But that elastic energy that's created when you hit the ground, that has a frequency of creation, store, and release. Yep. So if we run a cadence which synchronizes in with that elastic frequency, we are harnessing that elastic energy that we've created for free by hitting the ground. And so I believe that cadence zone is between 175 and 185. I think if you move out either side of that, either too fast or too slow, then you don't maximize your ability to harness that elastic energy. That's, so, a, that's a really nice concept that, that you're, you are actually tuning in to the naturally correct frequencies the body requires for the optimal performance for the task in hand. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, and that's what I've seen. And this is where one of the this is where the big kind of science thing of the lab and what you see with your eye and, and what I've seen with over three thousand runners. That's when that can butt sometimes because people will say, well, you know, there isn't much research on that, and you know, and and, and there isn't because most of it needs to be done inside and it, and it would be on a treadmill and it, it, is it so relevant? But what I can absolutely tell you is anecdotally with the runners that I've worked with over the decade and the people that I've tested around the world who move well, that zone, if you get into that zone, your life gets better. I absolutely believe that without a doubt. So, so that's why I get excited about cadence, not to correct form, but to join in with the elastic frequency of the body. So we should all start to take an interest in it. And if you do find yourself at a 164 cadence, because in theory, that's what you would find because it's the average one, don't just try and put it straight up to that kind of mid range between 175 and 185, maybe just two beats. And then a couple of weeks later, another two beats, another two beats, another two beats. It's a big shock to the system to suddenly try and put 10, 15 beats onto your uh, cadence. So you just grow it gently, incrementally. And, uh, and presumably you don't need to run faster. You, you could run the same speed at a higher cadence. It's just unpicking that process because, I mean, I don't know. It was a long time ago when I went through it and I was coming from such a point of injury that I couldn't run faster anyway. I literally had to sort of rebuild from the ground up. But for someone who just wanted to adjust this, is people's natural reaction to simply start running faster when they first try and address cadence? Yeah, because so because essentially they if they don't shorten their stride to up their cadence, then they are you are going to run much faster. And, and, and that can be a challenge. So the, the way to think about it is if you were, a, let's say if you were a, a bike, cadence is your cog and stride length is your gears. 
okay? So in, in the nirvana of running, in the beautiful world of running, if everything was perfect, you'd run around at, a, at the cadence that's within your fascial zone, your fascial frequency. You would always be in that zone of cadence and then your stride length would go up or down to make you run faster or slower. Okay, now when you go far, every runner, when you go faster, the cadence does pick up, but it shouldn't be the main means of going faster because it then very quickly becomes inefficient. So what we wanna try and master the art of is keeping the cadence within that zone and then using your stride length to go faster or slower. Not what we normally do. To go faster, we normally just try harder and turn our legs over quicker and to go slower, we stop trying and just slow down. Um, so it is, again, it's turning it on its head a little bit. Um, but I think really the thing to do is just try and think of your stride length as a curve. Yep, so a curve is essentially leaving the ground, going into the air and then landing. To run slow, you have a little curve. To run fast, you have a bigger curve. To get a bigger curve, you need a bit more spring off of the ground. You need a little bit more oscillation to allow that curve to get bigger. To run slower, slightly less spring, less oscillation, smaller curve. We don't want a bell curve, we want a nice long curve. We're always looking for the most efficient curve. So really your stride is decided by the amount of air oscillation you get and the amount of forward trajectory you get within that oscillation. That's why air is beautiful because if you limit yourself to no air, you're always gonna have a tiny curve. And if you try and run faster, you can only then land out in front of you, can't you? So you've got to get some of that spring in and some of that space in. Does that take us up the body a little bit here? Because, you know, as your tensegrity model showed earlier, things, the body needs to be under tension in order to make the most of this force. Um, and it, it feels like, you know, being tall is part of that almost preloading a, a bow, yeah. almost like yeah. a bow and arrow. So does, is this where we start to lift ourselves up? Yeah, so, you, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, we need to, we, we've seen from that tensegrity model, we need to load that to load that elasticity. So running tall, you know, running with a length and spine is extremely important. But actually, I think we can take it one step further. So for the book and for the, for the coaching site, I've come up with this thing called your center line, something for you to visualize, which is essentially um, a, a, an imaginary line that goes from your belly button, up through your abdomen, up through the chest, underneath the chin, and up through the face to the top of the head. So you have a continuous line from your belly button to the top of your head. And when you're running, it's that line that I want you to imagine opening up and putting a bow into. And it is just like loading a bow and arrow. Yeah, the further you pull back the string, yep, the further the arrow is going to go. So we can load our own bow. We can get beautifully tall, which puts tension in the system. But now if we load that elastic bow by putting a bow into it, that puts even more surface area now into your elastic system. And it gets your upper body over up. your center of gravity. Is that also yeah. bringing the chest yeah, up? Because we want to have them back. Well, not back, forward. We don't want to, we don't, so if you open up your bow, we want it to open up in front of you because then your upper body goes over your center of gravity. Often when we just run tall, we almost lean back and our upper body goes back over our center of gravity and that slows us down. Yeah. So it's opening up the bow upwards and forwards. That gets gravity. If I do that, I have to start stepping forward now. Otherwise, I'm going to fall over and kiss the ground because suddenly gravity is taking me forward. Well, if, if elastic energy is for free, gravity certainly is because that really doesn't want anything from you. Yeah. So that's, a so that's a really good way of getting nice heights in the body, 
and getting that cent your upper body over your center of gravity. And by opening up that bow with the chest, that kind of brings the hips forward, which is good. You've got more chance of getting that pelvis into a neutral position. And that means you've got a good engaged core. So that single line does a load of good things for you. Huge, huge amount. <laughs> and then the, if we come to the, the arms next, um, again, I'll, I'll, you know, from, from everything you, you've said in the book and everything else, arms just get forgotten by a lot of runners. You know, running, running is legs. What, what, do you, what do your arms have to do with it? <laughs> Absolutely. And I know when I, when I was, when I was uh, kind of in my, at the start of my journey, if I could have left my arms at home, I would have done because, yeah, they were, as far as I was going, they were clearly stealing off of me because uh, I was running with my legs, which were tired enough as it, were, as it was. But once I started to study the movement of runners and study the perception of runners and what was happening, and just looking at this whole kinetic chain, I started to realize that actually the arms are fundamental. You could even argue that you run with your arms, okay? Because the thing is, so when you run, I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but you're, when you run, your right arm and your left leg move together and your left arm and your right leg move together. Some people may have thought about it, some, some may not, but that's the case. That's your kinetic chain. Um, but because we have very dexterous hands, because we do everything with our hands and our arms, our hands and our arms are closer to our brain than our legs. We can see them. So it, I think it's safe to say you have a better relationship with your hands and your arms than you do your legs. And what that means is your arms are very, very dominant over your legs. So you're not very clever left leg. Can't wait to see what your very clever right hand and arm is doing. And people will say, oh, you know, if I run fast, then I run with my arms. Or if I run up a hill, I run with my arm. We kind of use our arms if we want to almost wake ourselves up to do something. But if we're not thinking about it, we just let the arms dangle around and just run with our legs. Because the biomechanical view of ourselves would suggest that everything below the pelvis is legs and everything above the pelvis is upper body. But the tensegrity effect would suggest that everything is connected to everything. The, the fingertips on your left hand are connected to the toes on your right foot. They are, you know, there is, there, there is no, there should be no defining lines, you know, fascia you know the lines of fascia connect everything not divide everything we're used to dividing the body into sections and blocks and so it wouldn't we would never think that what our right arm does connects to our left leg because that's not how we see our body but they absolutely do and of course we if we if our arms are driving out in front of us if my right arm drives out in front of me that's going to inspire my left leg to come out in front of me and that's when I'll start heel striking on a straight leg so the arms have a really really big uh, role to play here so we want a dynamic movement to the rear with the elbows everything is to the rear with the arms driving back with the elbow that's going to inspire that leg to circle back underneath you and come out behind you rather than over striding in front of you also if you start to use your uh, bow in your center line and you get that beautiful gravity thing going on the arms moving to the rear with a dynamic movement they're going to counterbalance that lean so it'll allow you to lean just that little bit more if your arms are flailing around in front of you and you're trying to lean that's not going to work your very clever brain will just pull you out of that movement because it knows it's not going to go well you are going to fall over so it won't let that happen so it will just pull you out of the lean um, so yeah arms super important everything to the rear interesting that because it if I had to focus on arm movement in running without this conversation, 
I don't think it would have naturally occurred to me that the main drive is backwards, not forwards. Mm. When you make that point, it's now very clear and obvious that the main thrust in a running arm movement when you're working or when you feel like things are working is to the rear, not to the front. The, the, I, I'm not even conscious of making a push forward with the arm. I'm very conscious of making a kick back with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'd be amazed how many runners, A, do push to the front, uh, push out in front of them. Uh, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of running technique is still based on sprinting in the 70s which is because I guess in the 70s, there wasn't a lot of ultra running going on and uh, not even much marathon running, really. You know, there were marathons, but it wasn't really something that, you know, the, the public were really getting too involved in. And so a lot of, as with most things, are passed down. So a lot of running technique has actually been passed down of what, what sprinters were doing uh, in the 70s, uh, which, is, which is crazy because you're obviously, if you're doing a marathon or an ultra, you're out there for quite a long time and you, you really need to be efficient. So yeah, driving back with the arm and you don't even need to then drive forward. Once you've driven that bar, arm back to its, if it reaches its apex, you can just let it go and it will drop back naturally into its position. Almost like some natural elastic fascia system is pulling it in the right direction. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to push it back because gravity and elastic recall from your spiral line of fascia will just pull it straight back into place again. You just are a big elastic band. You, we are. We, we absolutely are. That's forever rejuvenating. Which is, I mean, that's, that's such a... I would say it's not even a beautiful concept because, it, you know, it's a reality. It's a beautiful reality that the constant ability to keep improving uh, is naturally within us and much, much greater than you would necessarily think. And you've, you're building the toolkit and the roadmap to unlock that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really keen for runners to go out. And of course, if you go out, you want to get fitter. You know, you want to build a bigger engine. That's one of the reasons you're going out running. You want to listen to the birds. You want to listen to music or, you know, you want that headspace, that, that mental health, well-being. What, you know, there are lots of great reasons to go out for a run. And you should do all of those. But what I would love people to do is all, when they also go out, is, is go out and practice a movement skill. Why does it have to be any different from going to yoga or to do a martial arts class, or if you went swimming, or if you went and had a golf lesson, you know, you'd be thinking about the movement and try and maximize everything so that you do it really, really well. But we tend to make running a blood and guts thing where we stick a pair of trainers on and say, right, let's have it. I'm going to get this done. You know, so, and of course, sometimes you have to go to that dark place and, and, and hang in there, of course, that is an attribute. Um, but I think if we treat it, more as a movement skill a it would bring far more people into our sport which we all want we all want more people running and walking um so i think if people didn't think that they had to be muscular and super fit and super strong to run if they felt that actually from day one if they can do it for 15 20 yards beautifully and grow it and grow it that would bring so many more people into our sport um, who would benefit from it because suddenly it's a it's a movement skill not something you have to be super strong or fit to be able to do. You will get strong and fit doing it without a doubt, but you don't have to be that to start it at all. You just have to work on the key tenets of the movement and enjoy the process of that movement. 
yeah yeah i mean if i you know when it, when you if you want to watch the the ethiopians and the kenyans run and you know i'm very still even now very privileged to spend time literally with world record holders and and, and to understand you know I, and again i'm putting technology on them to understand how they move and, and and lots of video and stuff but i'm also working on that perception of effort with them to understand what their perception of beautiful movement is and, and why they're good and you know people watch the east africans run and they think oh it looks effortless you know they're not even trying it's not fair they're just moving beautifully and they're not even trying boy they're trying but they're not trying in the way that we see trying which is you know really toughing it out and, and trying really hard to run fast they're working really hard to keep this beautiful elegant movement because they know that's what propels them so they're working really hard to hold their form and that creates the propulsion rather and thinking about trying hard to, to push and propel themselves. Big difference, big, big difference. And what's true for them, like I say, is true for the first person, for the person who's listening to this thinking, well, maybe I'll do a couch to 5K then. It, it, it's the same. Movement, everybody's movement is like their fingerprint. It's different, it's unique to them. Yeah, everybody has completely unique movement and everybody is unique in what they want to achieve. So it doesn't matter how fit you think you are or you aren't you can start playing with and practicing with this movement skill today and who knows what i have seen people's horizons change you know it's incredible working with runners uh and i get to see how people's journeys and horizons change massively in a pretty short space of time because once you start to move and you start to enjoy it and you do it what seemed impossible or not even on the horizon six months ago now you're doing it's incredible and I, I think that that brings us back to something that you started with, which is it's quite easy to focus on on the difference. Clearly, a world class Kenyan marathon runner has so many different things to, to the rest of us. You know, they, they, they live somewhere completely different, different diet. They've grown up barefoot. They've this, that and the other. Multiple differences. Yet as human beings, we're ninety nine point nine percent exactly the same. Um, if you focus on those commonalities, the natural attributes we all have and work the maximum for that movement, the ability to unlock those horizons to wherever you want to take them to, be it couch to 5K or, you know, I want to set a record pace at the UTMB, I want to run a 230 marathon, whatever it may be. Mm. It's all within our grasp. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, it almost sounds like a, a cheesy coach thing to say, but it absolutely is. You'd be astonished at what people go on to do i've had runners come to me who quite literally can't run around a track to be analyzed or run around a park to be analyzed who go on out to chamonix and do and, and do incredible races they they literally do it's unbelievable so um you know and the journey doesn't have to end in chamonix with the utmb or the occ or whatever uh, or running across a desert everybody has their everybody has their everest i guess don't they and and uh, you know if, if if your everest is running uh, a sub 30 minute 5k then amazing yeah yeah but yeah but i think we've got a lot more chance of doing it and not getting injured doing it and enjoying it if we treat it as a movement skill rather than uh, yeah just 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 trying to tough it out i think and so for people who want uh, more shane benzie in their life which i think should basically be everyone uh, <laughs> obviously they can get you at running reborn uh, they can get your latest book, which I mean, it's not it's not brand new, but it's still fairly new, isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, so it came out in August. 
So uh, it seems like it's been out a long time now. It seems to be, but the thing is, when you write it, of course, for me, it's a couple of years old, I guess, because it took it took me, you know, some time to write it. But yeah, it came out in August, um, and it's yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been um, bestseller on on sort of multiple um, levels on different uh, categories. So it's 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 going well. You know, it's people seem to be kind of resonating with it. And it, to be honest, it's written in a way where it's not a technical book. It's, it's it, in fact, I you know, it's just like me talking. It's it's not technical. If it was, if it was left to me, I mean, I'm not that bright. I'm not clever enough to write a technical book. Um, but it's, yeah, it's easy to read, I think. And it just gets you thinking about your movement and, and there's some how-tos in there. So, yeah, there's the book or there's, yeah, runningreborn.com. And that has the the coaching platform and there's my, my coaching is on there. And I, I remote coach all around the world as well. So um, I do that with remote video analysis and running dynamics, data analysis and, and zooming and stuff like that as well. So yeah, ev everything is on that site really. If you go there, then you can um, bore yourself senseless with 10 segregate and as, as much elasticity as you can cope with. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure all the links to those are, will be in the show notes. Um, Shane, real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, thanks so much for squeezing us into your day of coaching out there in the beautiful countryside. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the uh, rural idyll in the background. We've had we've had swans, we've had geese, we've had church bells, dog walkers. Um, really, there was a fox really... actually behind you. There was a fox. No but, way, uh, foxes too. There was a fox. Yeah, there was a fox <laughs> wandering across earlier. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful well look, enjoy the rest of the day with what it holds there and thank you Brilliant. for taking the time to come and share all your knowledge with us on the show today listen thank you for inviting me and i'm happy to come back anytime and uh, yeah catch up and see where the work's taken me shane benzie ladies and gentlemen give that man a great big hand um such a wealth of information on all things running fascia movement and being the best we possibly can be naturally. So if you want to check out more of Shane's work, uh, or if you want to get involved with his online coaching setup, get yourselves over to runningreborn.com. The link is in the show notes. And if you haven't read it already, uh, and you fancy a spot of running in your reading, well, do get yourself a copy of The Lost Art of Running. Uh, links to that in the show notes below as well. Final word, of course, from our sponsors, 33 Fuel Natural Sports Nutrition. When you need the absolute best that your body deserves for all of that hard work you put in, something that's going to fuel you, something that's going to nourish you, something that you're going to enjoy, love, and actually feel better after using, yes, really, that can be done with sports nutrition, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com. All right, thanks for joining. Look forward to seeing you on the next show.